We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Feeling the 68. That's the Field of 68's bracket show brought to you as always by Rhythm. Appreciate you all joining us, kicking off your weekend in style with some bracket talk. I am Kevin Sweeney, joined today by Brad Wachtel and Andy Bottoms, ready to dive into the projected field. We will have a new bracket out here this evening, heading into a huge weekend of college hoops, as they all are. Um, but yes, it is Super Bowl weekend. We may be worried about Chiefs, Niners, but we're really worried about the bracket. Because there's a lot that can change this weekend, and I know looking ahead, a ton of bubbly games coming up on Saturday. So let's set the stage for where we want to be, uh, boys. How we doing, Brad? How's the uh, how's how's the, how are the Friday vibes? Friday vibes are great. Uh, last weekend and actually this past week has been an awesome week of college basketball, and, and like you said, every single weekend, every single Saturday. Ton of games, ton of action, and so much that's going to happen to the bracket. Andy, looking back here, Monday through Friday, we did our last reveal Monday evening. What were the things that stood out to you the most this week? What were the results that you're circling that had pretty substantial impacts on on your projected field this morning? Uh, yeah, I think you, when you look uh, at some of the games, a couple of big road wins uh, for for teams that were uh, in different situations. Nevada winning at Utah State as a bubble team uh, really helped push them back uh, very close to the cut line. Clemson winning at North Carolina. I think we talked on Monday about how few opportunities they had and what a big game that was for them, and they came through. And then uh, a home win, but probably the best game that I felt like I watched over the course of the week was Providence beating Creighton. Uh, Providence, a, a lot of bubble discussion of late, and being able to pull that game out in overtime and, uh, you know, really give them a good win post the Bryce Hopkins injury uh, was critical for them. But just even take take the bracket implications away. That was just a, a hell of a, a fun game to watch. So uh, that one, it, it, it kind of doubled up because it was a great game to watch, but also impactful from a bracket perspective. I, I will never get sick of watching Devin Carter play basketball. He has been so fun to watch, really carrying this team. I, I honestly can't recall an individual player for a bubble team carrying his team the way that Devin Carter is right now. I mean, honestly, like he looks like he's limping after every game, which I think is like a great, it, like it, it feels like he's staggered after like a, like a 10 round boxing match. And uh, he has just been unbelievable fun to watch. Uh, 
your side, Brad, any other games that stood out? You know, I felt like that Providence game certainly stood out. Clemson might have locked themselves in. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that is fair to say. Clemson took a, a big jump for me. Um, had them as a as my first eight seed actually heading into that game against Carolina, and they're actually all the way up to a five seed now. So they're in excellent shape. You know, as, as we always say, conference record doesn't matter. Even if, even in the ACC, you know, under being under five hundred, it's not ideal. But they have so many quality wins on their resume that they are in really really good shape. I mean, they beat Boise State. They won at Alabama beat South Carolina, beat TCU on a neutral court, and obviously winning at uh, North Carolina is is massive. Um, you know, also uh, Nevada winning at Utah State is is another game that I thought was real big. Uh, Nevada was a team that was um, on the wrong side of the bubble. Um, they had been in the field a couple of weeks ago, uh, and that win um, is, is big. Anytime you could get a road win over an at-large team and Utah State, we have projected as – you know, about a seven or an eight seed. That's it. That's a critical win. That's something that really uh, boosted Nevada's resume. And we'll find out where they where they lie um, once we go over the last four and first four out. I think the idea that the Providence Creighton game was the best game of the week is fair. Um, but there was a strong contender for number two, uh, in my opinion, at least. Arizona, Utah going to triple overtime last night. Arizona finding a way. Uh, to win that game. We will mention the, uh, you know, obviously Arizona has been the mix for one seed, but Utah, I'm curious your perspective, Andy, on their stability now after a game like that. Obviously it would have been a massive win for their resume. How much is it hurting them to not have that? And, and where do you think that they stand right now? Yeah, I had them as uh, right on the eight nine line coming into uh, or in, in the aftermath of that game. Obviously, as you said, that would have been huge to really uh, maybe not lock them in, but would have put them pretty close. The challenge with the Pac twelve is there just aren't a lot of good wins to get, and being able to beat Arizona is one of them. And so at this point, their best wins have largely come. All of their Q one wins have come in the non conference, which, uh, as Brad said conference record doesn't matter. Uh, but the challenge for them is that they really just don't have as many opportunities left uh, now that they've dropped this and they've been swept by Arizona at this point. Uh, they do go to Colorado. They go to the LA schools uh, and they finish up at Oregon. So there's some chances there to to get some road wins, which is important for them. You know, you kind of move past the, the top end wins. They're one in five in true road games. So trying to find ways for them to pick up some road games down the stretch uh, takes on some additional importance uh, with that game against Arizona slipping away last night. That game certainly had some substantial impacts on the field for one for Utah, but uh, for our next topic, which is the number one seeds, we have had the same group of four every show so far. And that finally changes today because of Arizona winning on the road at Utah. Let's reveal the four number ones, UConn, Purdue, and Houston still in great shape staying on that top line, but Arizona jumping up after that big quad one road win combined with, of course, the North Carolina loss at home against Clemson. Guys, um, curious your perspective here on this shift. So I think we've been in agreement that the top two are incredibly good shape. The third in Houston is in pretty darn good shape for a number one seed, but that fourth for North Carolina was a little tenuous and the loss of Clemson was enough for you guys to, to flip 
in Arizona. I'll, I'll start with you, Brad. What what went into the decision, Arizona versus North Carolina versus even Tennessee, who I think was in the mix as well? Yeah, and right now I have Arizona, of course, as the fourth one, and then I have Tennessee slightly ahead of North Carolina um, for that top two seed. Uh, really what it boils down to for me is, you know, as the committee always says, who have you beaten? Where did you beat them? And when you look at a team like Arizona, they won at Duke. They beat Alabama on a neutral court. So right there, then and there, those are their two best wins. You look at Tennessee, they won at Wisconsin. They won at Kentucky. They beat Alabama. Um, and they beat Illinois. And then you look at Carolina's best wins. They beat Tennessee. So, okay, people might say, well, Carolina beat Tennessee. They got to be ahead of them, right? No, that's not how it works. Um, they beat Tennessee at home. Obviously a very good win, but it's a home game. Had that been on a neutral court, maybe I'd be thinking, and maybe the committee would think of it a little bit differently, but just a, just a home win for them and a very good win. But who did North Carolina beat away from home? Um, other than winning at Clemson, nobody particularly great. Uh, they beat Oklahoma in a neutral court, but other than that, not great. Um, and then what it comes down to for me when you compare the three teams, record versus Q1A opponents. Arizona is 5-2, and two, Tennessee 4-3, and three, North Carolina 2-2. Two and two. Record against Q1 opponents, Arizona 6-3, and three, Tennessee is 4-4, four and, four, and North Carolina is 5-5. Five and, five. Um, and now even though Arizona does have that one bad loss on their resume, the quality wins trump that. Um, that being said, it's still very close, and by no means is Arizona a sure thing. That could change uh, even as soon as after this weekend or next week. Yeah. Andy, your your thoughts there on, on what went into the number one seed spot? Yeah, it's, it's really those high Q1 wins uh, that were the difference from my perspective with Arizona, uh, with you know three of those now being on the road. Uh, or at least wrote in neutral games with the Alabama neutral court win and then winning at Duke and at Utah uh, yesterday. They do have, you know, the, they're the only one of the teams that uh, that has a, a Q3 loss at this point. So that does matter and probably closes the gap because I think Arizona probably would have already been there uh, had it not been for, for the Q3 loss to Oregon State. Uh, but really when you look at it, just, you know, more higher end wins, uh, than them, and I think Brad broke down the, the case between Tennessee and North Carolina. Well, uh, I, I think that you look at Tennessee uh, having those, you know, four quad one A wins uh, and, and some other good good wins to go with those. I think they're, you know, they only have one Q two loss, I believe. I think that was the home game to South Carolina, which is not a bad loss given how South Carolina has really played uh, versus Carolina losing on the road at Georgia Tech, uh, which falls into that uh, that category as well. So. I think things are still pretty close between those three, but I had them ranked in the same order as Brad did with Arizona uh, on at fourth overall, followed by Tennessee and North Carolina. Okay, so just quickly here, I think the thing that I find most interesting about this one seed conversation is the opportunity gap, right? For Tennessee, you know, quad one opportunity this weekend at Texas A&M, uh, staring down big games down the stretch of SEC play, home Auburn at Alabama, uh, at South Carolina, home Kentucky, all left on their schedule. Whereas you look at, you know, certainly North Carolina in the ACC, Arizona in the Pac-12, those opportunities not being there. So is it is it fair to say that Tennessee maybe has the most upside of that group? And 
because of the lack of opportunities, is there room for someone else to get in the conversation, right? Is, is Kansas or a Big 12 champion uh, going to be able to push their way onto, other than Houston, obviously? Is there a second Big 12 team that could push because of those opportunities? Yeah, I, I think I, in theory. I, uh, go ahead, Brad. Go ahead, Andy. Okay. Uh, what, yeah, what but I, I think in theory, you I, could. I, <laughs> sorry. Final decision. Brad, talk first, my friend. Sorry. <laughs> Appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. So ultimately, I think that is possible. Uh, I think another team could creep, you know, definitely Kansas. Big 12, you have so many opportunities. Um, is Baylor another one? I think Baylor, outside chance. Um, I'll, I'll even give you another team out of the, out of the Big East, Marquette. Um, I, Marquette already has a ton of quality wins, um, including beating Kansas on a neutral court, winning at Illinois. Those are two high-quality wins. Um, so I think Marquette is actually my dark horse to potentially be that fourth number one seed. Yeah, I think the, the Big 12 piece of it feels hard to hard to fathom just because they're all have beaten up on each other so far and there's no reason to really believe they won't continue to do so. Uh, so I do think Kansas would be in that mix. I think Baylor could get there. Iowa State would be an odd one given the, the lack of accomplishment in the non-conference, but certainly the wins are there in league play to, to push them there. Marquette's the one that's interesting. I, I'm fairly certain they still have both their games against UConn left, so that becomes uh, two huge opportunities. And for them coming up, they've got you know, if you you've got St. John's at home at Butler at UConn, then they got three games in a row at home. Uh, so for them, if they you know get on a little bit of a tear, they've been somewhat under the radar, just hanging out around the the two three uh, turn there. But but the wins and the opportunities are there for them in Big East play versus a Carolina who plays three of the next four on the road, which is certainly helpful. One of those against Virginia. But the marquee, marquee wins are not really there for them until they go to Duke uh, at the end of the season. And Tennessee, even for this little stretch outside of this next road game at Texas A&M that comes up uh, on Saturday, they've got a few after that that are on the road, but probably ones you shouldn't lose if you want to stay in that conversation with uh, Arkansas and Missouri and their games, as you said, Kevin, really get tougher down the stretch. So. They just need to hold serve until the the big games really come up for them. And uh, they've got a chance to make a push as well. Again, our number one seeds today, Purdue, UConn, Houston, and Arizona. When we come back, bubble talk. Last four in, first four out. Who's making the cut here on Friday, February 9th? Appreciate you joining us here on Feeling the 68. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 each and every week of the college basketball season. We have a special offer that will be available starting on Tuesday, January 9th and running through Monday, February 12th, the morning after Super Bowl 58. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, in honor of the big game, you can use the bonus code FIELD158 and you'll get $158 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD158. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. 
you'll receive $158 in bonus bets, regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure that you use that bonus code FIELD158 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly, which happens quite a bit. When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create separate accounts in each state. It's easy, it's simple, it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the heart of the college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops, odd boosts, and my favorite, a nice juicy parlay boost. So download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Field 158. It's time for Bubble Talk on Fielding the 68, brought to you by Rhythm. I am Kevin Sweeney, joined today by the experts in the room, Brad Wachtel, Andy Bottoms, uh, taking a break from the uh, the bracket spreadsheets to, to give us some insight as, as to how everything looks. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about a lot of the games that had impacts uh, on the bubble and some kind of big, big shifts that could have happened. So now it's time to reveal who's in, who's out. Uh, we're going to start with you, Andy. Your last four in. What does it look like here on Friday? Yeah, this is the part that probably took me the longest. So I'll go ahead and uh, apologize to our uh, our producer Dagan that these are some of these decisions are the ones that made me maybe later than I wished I was on on the uh, on the seed list. But I had I ended up with Seton Hall, Florida, Ole Miss, and Michigan State as my last four. Uh, I think Seton Hall and and to an extent, Florida could potentially make an argument that they're maybe a, a couple spots further up the seed list. But Seton Hall, uh, you look, they, we talked about them earlier in the week, the resume metrics and the quality metrics are both uh, a little on the high side. But you also look, they've got four Q1 wins, uh, including wins over UConn and Marquette that we talked about, uh, who are in contentions for a one seed winning at Providence at Butler. Uh, certainly helps their case, but not a not a strong grip on uh, on a bit at this point. They had two Villanova uh, this weekend, so they're they're a team that's uh, got a number of road games coming up, and uh, and and those will go a long way to determine whether they're still in or not. Florida, a little bit of a metrics darling in in terms of both the resume and the quality metrics, average out to around thirty, which is great. But they're one and seven in Q one. That win at Kentucky is certainly uh, a great one, but otherwise. Uh, the best win is at home against Mississippi State or neutral court wins against Pitt and Richmond. So you kind of look if you want to use resume metrics to see, to get them in the field. They seem likely in that regard, and and the quality metrics are solid as well. But they have some work to do in terms of really solidifying their resume. And then the last two are kind of inverse images of one another. Ole Miss, great resume metrics, poor quality metrics. Michigan State, uh, you know, poor resume metrics, really strong uh, quality metrics, and. And so you look at those, uh, Ole Miss has been the subject of a lot of discussion Poor non-conference strength of schedule. They've gotten beaten uh, handily by some of the better teams that they've played. And so uh, they've got some work to do coming coming up. They go to Kentucky. Uh, they're off this weekend. They go to Kentucky next week, then host Missouri and play at Mississippi State. And Michigan State comes off that loss at Minnesota, which is not as bad as it would have seemed at the beginning of the year. I think Ben Johnson's done a really good job uh, with that team. And so now you you have a huge home game for Michigan State uh, coming up this weekend against Illinois. 
they're just two and seven in road neutral games. And the neutral court win came against Baylor in Detroit. So uh, by the way the committee defines it, that's a neutral court game. You could make your own argument as to whether it really was or not. Uh, but for them, they're also two and seven in quad one uh, and just four and nine against the top two quadrants. So no bad losses per se in terms of ones that fall outside of, of Q1, but I think, uh, or Q1 or Q2, but I think Michigan State at this point just – Hard to find the quality wins uh, to really justify them being safely in the field as I look at it. We, we talk about every game mattering when it comes to, to bracketology. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight a game that probably no one paid attention to. Ole Miss versus Detroit Mercy on Tuesday, November 14th. Want to know what night Tuesday, November 14th was? Champions Classic. This is probably like the 50th most interesting game of the day. Ole Miss only beat Detroit by one. Detroit is winless against Division I competition. So, you won the game, great, right? Well, not so great. Ole Miss went from 93 to 119 in Ken Palm. So, a 26-spot drop, if my math uh, is correct. It, it could be that, that that result, not blowing out a team you should blow out, is some of the difference in why Ole Miss makes or misses the NCAA tournament. Um, Brad, your uh, last four in, what do we got? How, how different are we looking from Andy? We got two that are the same. Uh, first, last two in Florida. Florida, like Andy said, strong metrics across the board. Uh, that win at Kentucky was huge, but like Andy said, just one in seven against Q1. The other thing I will add about Florida, they do not possess a loss against Q2, Q3, or Q4 opponents, uh, which is which is big. So having such strong result metrics, feel pretty good about them being in. Uh, if they can get some quality wins, some more quality wins, they'll be in much better shape to really boost their seed. But having only one Q1 win, really, it, it's not enough. It doesn't look very pretty, and they got to do some, plenty more work. Uh, Seton Hall next up. Um, predictive metrics for Seton Hall, as you see, you know, really limits their seed ceiling. I feel good about them being in right now. Um, they have four wins against Q1 opponents, including beating the two best teams in the Big East in UConn and Marquette. Uh, so I feel good where they're at right now, but again, far from safe, far from safe with those, even their strength, the record um, is now uh, 50, 51 actually at the, at the moment, which is not a good number to have. Once you get into the fifties, things start to get very dicey. So for them, it's really like game by game. You got to keep winning. You want to take care of business against teams like DePaul and Georgetown and they just beat Georgetown, but it was a single digit win. Uh, you know, you would have liked something a little bit better than that to really boost their metrics. And unfortunately, they were unable to do that. Uh, my last two teams in uh, Nevada. Uh, Nevada got a huge win, as I discussed earlier, at Utah State. You know, wins on the road against, like I said, at-large teams. It's a major boost. Nevada wasn't even in my, my first four out uh, earlier in the week. And now they are one of my last teams in the field. They're four and two against quad one opponents right now. Um, strength of record is 56, not a good number, but four and two against Q1 is very good. Um, Mountain West, as we, as we have already noted, uh, going to get a lot more teams than they have in the past. Uh, and then finally, my last team in is Providence. Uh, this was their biggest win since Bryce Hopkins got injured and what we've been talking about time and time again, you got to win games with, without Hopkins. Um, and they finally did that. Uh, their second win, they had beaten Seton Hall, which you might have a little asterisk next to that one because Seton Hall was missing Kadari Richmond. But beating Cre Creighton is a big win, and they have a monster game this weekend 
that could do a lot for them at Butler, um, who right now is in the field as a, as a nine seed at the moment. So Providence needs to keep getting those quality wins, keep getting the quality wins, and they'll move up the ladder. Uh, but unfortunately, they are being judged by how they play from Hopkins injury till the end of the way. And if they can keep beating some, some NCAA tournament teams, they'll be in good shape to get in. So, Brad, I just want to press you on this quickly um, because I know we have a lot to get to. Um, Providence has two other like high, high-level players in Josh Aduro and Devin Carter, right? I think we'd all probably agree at this point, Devin Carter is their most valuable player. Oduro has been awesome. He was good before Hopkins. He's been even better since. At what like what like what's the cut? What's the cutoff for this injury means it completely changes your season? Because I think Hopkins feels like he's probably right around that line, right? I remember last year, like Virginia Tech, people were making case should have been in because Hunter Couture was was hurt and he's their third best player. Like, I think you make case Bryce Hopkins their third best player. Like, why do we need to devalue some of these results when he was was out there? Given how well, the, you know, they, now that they've started to show it a little bit without him, how, how much should we be really valuing Hopkins's impact on Providence? I think there definitely it definitely has to be noted, but I but I also think beating a Creighton. You know, like they had beaten Marquette in Wisconsin. I think they needed that type of quality win uh, to match that, to prove that, hey, we are we are capable of still beating teams, you know, up up in the upper echelon of the conference. Uh, so I think that's big for them. Uh, but like you mentioned, if you look at their resume as a whole, even if you look at them as a whole, I still think they are, maybe they'd be a few seats higher. They wouldn't be that much higher. Um, you know, the biggest thing on their resume that they have going for them, of course, are those top tier wins. But when you look at their strength, of record, it's 45, you know, which really 45 strength, of record and predictive metrics, which average out to about upper 40s. You're really a double digit seed anyway. So maybe they're getting penalized a little bit for that. But I don't think it's as much as uh, people have made it out to be. Uh, but it's still it's still something that has to be noted. But like I said, beating Creighton. Uh, kind of shuts up the doubters just a little bit. Okay, that that is great insight. I appreciate that. Uh, let's reveal our consensus last four in here uh, quickly. See uh, which which overlap we had and what we didn't. So Seton Hall in the field uh, as we would have expected. Uh, Mississippi State, a team that was not mentioned in either of your guys's last four in, they are still in despite. Uh, a lack of much road success. Michigan State, we've already mentioned them uh, in the field, but could really use a win coming up here Saturday against Illinois. And then Ole Miss, a team that I have a feeling we are going to be talking about quite a bit on this program here over the next five, six weeks. Um, Andy, your, your thoughts on Mississippi State, an interesting resume, certainly. Yeah, there's just odd. I, I had them a couple spots clear of the last four in uh, and but this is a, in a group of teams that was pretty close. Uh, I, I would say, you know, the, the one of the main oddities of their resume is the six and zero neutral court, zero and six true road game uh, component of things. But uh, I think they, they feel to me like they're safer than the rest of these teams, at least by the way that I uh, had looked at it. They were, I guess, maybe four spots clear of the the last four in for me. Uh, so winning, you know, beating Tennessee and Auburn at home, neutral court wins over Washington State and Northwestern. Uh, make them feel relatively solid. That Q4 loss to Southern uh, by a point certainly doesn't help them at all. And they've got a chance a little bit as you look at their next few games. They go to Missouri, 
then host Arkansas and Ole Miss, and then go to LSU. I mean, they got a chance to to win all four of those and and maybe give themselves a little bit of breathing room. Awesome. Uh, on on the first four outside of things, who who came up just short, Brad? What was your what was your first four out? Yeah, so first four out, my first two out are actually two teams that Andy had in. So again, it's it's very close. But we'll start off with Michigan State. Look, if you look at Michigan State's resume, you look at their metrics, their predictive metrics are very strong. I mean, they 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 were heading into the season, they were a top 10 team. People thought they were going to be real, real good and not even near the bubble. Um, but the problem with their resume is being just two and seven against Q1 opponents um, and just being one and five on the road. Uh, that's a that's an issue too. Uh, they have a huge game this weekend uh, against Illinois. Uh, and the Big Ten this year, there's just not as many opportunities as there, there once was. Uh, so I think that game against Illinois, for me, if they win against Illinois, they're back in the field. Um, but they got plenty of work to do, uh, being just four and nine against quad one and quad two opponents is not a good record at all. Um, next up I have Ole Miss strange resume, as Andy mentioned, uh, strength of record of 18 and their predictives are in the sixties, um, touched on a few reasons as to why that's the case. Uh, didn't particularly love keeping them out, but you know, at the end of the day, you're trying to figure out what separates these teams. And for me, Ole Miss having the 320th non-conference strength of schedule was an issue for me. Um, and that was a separator for me. So that kept them out of my field. Uh, and then we go to uh, one other thing to mention, South Florida, as you mentioned, is leading the American now. So after... FAU lost to UAB last night. That eliminated one at-large team from the from the crowd. Uh, so that's something to note. So that the top team could be in, you know, in a few days. Could it could change around? Uh, next up, I have St. John's. Uh, St. John's. They they won this week. They beat DePaul, um, but they're just not. Their their resume just looks worse and worse each day. They're just two and seven against quad one opponents. Their metrics are getting worse. 50 strength of record. Um, huge game against Marquette on the road this weekend. Again, win on the road against the top tier team. It's a game changer. It gets them in the field for me. It gets them above the last four in for me. So if you want to improve your resume, that's how you do it. Uh, the other thing that they need to do, in my opinion, you want to root for a team like Villanova, who they swept. You want Villanova to get hot. You want them to get into the field safely. I don't know if that's going to happen at this point, um, but Villanova has the the top tier wins. You know, maybe you think they could do it, but St. John swept them, so that would be two more quality wins to add to their resume. So that's one thing that they can root for that's out of their control. Uh, and then my final team that I have left out is Kansas State, who we mentioned took a big leap after their win over Kansas. Um, pretty solid resume. Problem is, you know, poor metrics aren't great. But they're hanging around, and, and they're good enough to, you know, obviously playing in the Big 12, you get opportunities, and they have a ton of opportunities coming up. So they can easily be another team that jumps into the field um, after another big win or two. There, there's always a, a couple of teams where I don't actually worry that much from a bracketology standpoint about them in early February because, like, it's going to sort itself out based on who they play. I think Kansas State certainly qualifies there. A ton of opportunities. They'll either win those games and be in. 
comfortably or they'll lose those games and they'll be out comfortably. Uh, Andy, your first four out, what does it look like? Yeah, so it's all teams we've talked about uh, so far. Uh, so I'll try to be try to be brief. Uh, my first two out were Brad's last two in. So Providence and Nevada basically swapped out uh, with Michigan State and Ole Miss. Uh, you know, Providence. The only thing I would mention that hasn't come up so far, they're just six and eight in non quad four games. Uh, that's you know certainly not ideal to be under five hundred in in meaningful games uh, in that regard. So I think that's one other thing. And, and as Brad mentioned. You know, we get the Hopkins injury gets talked about a lot. I know I brought it up on the show uh, on Monday, but the reality is that even with him, when you look at their full body of work, their resume metrics still average out in the low 50s. So uh, I, I think it's certainly the win uh, earlier this week helped that, and and they can continue to help themselves with some of the games they have coming up. Uh, but the the six and eight mark in non Q4 games is a, a is an interesting uh, nugget for them. And then Nevada uh, have a really big stretch coming up. They host San Diego State tonight in uh, one of uh, a whopping three matchups on the college basketball schedule. Uh, they also host New Mexico coming up. So for them, being able to pick up another uh, couple good home wins would be helpful. They're seven and four in road neutral games already, which certainly helps. Uh, but picking up some of those other good wins would help their resume and, and presumably their quality metrics as well. And then St. John's and Kansas State were the the you know next two out for me, basically matching what Brad had. Uh, I think when you look at St. John's, uh, you know their best win is against Utah in a neutral court, plus that sweep of Villanova. Uh, but really, you know Utah is the only team they've beat that's even safely in the field. You know Butler is probably in that nine ten range. They beat them at home as well. Uh, but you look at their uh, resume metrics; they aren't they aren't particularly strong. Two and seven in Q one uh, doesn't really help you a ton. And then Kansas State resume metrics are right about the same as what St. John's is, but their quality metrics are worse. Uh, so while they've beaten uh, Kansas and Baylor, uh, that's uh, our great Q1 wins. Also beat Villanova, also beat Providence on neutral court. All four of those top wins are in overtime, uh, as those who follow the Wildcats are probably not surprised. Uh, but at this point, um, you know, big next four games coming up for them at BYU, TCU at home, at Texas, and then they get BYU again. Uh, so playing them twice in four games. Uh, will go a long way to, to that. And I think it speaks to what you said, Kevin. And I think you could say the same about every Big 12 uh, and probably Big East team to a certain extent is like things are going to sort themselves out because they're playing each other and going to uh, either beat each other up or take advantage of the opportunities that they have. Yeah, uh, 100% with you. Let's let's quickly reveal here our consensus first four out. Uh, that is Providence, Nevada, St. John's and Kansas State. So four teams with a little bit more work to do heading into a weekend where all four will have some opportunities to do just that and start moving the needle towards getting into the field. When we come back, we'll have conference breakdowns. Big 10 and Pac-12, lot to get to with those two leagues. Leagues that may have fewer bids than we've seen in recent years. Right back on Feeling, feeling the 68. There is nothing in sports better than the heart of the college basketball season, which is why I need to tell you guys about our partners over at Rhythm. If you're into sports betting, you need Rhythm, the place for data-backed props and picks. For those that are unfamiliar, Rhythm, spelled R-I-T-H-M-M, is the go-to mobile app for player props and game picks. Backed by AI predictive models, Rhythm helps you make smarter and faster betting decisions across all sports, but particularly college hoops, where there are as many as 150 games a day during conference play. 
many of which have softer lines at BetMGM than you'll find in the NFL or the NBA. With Rhythm, you get data-backed picks for every Division I game every day. Users get free picks daily with the ability to upgrade to unlimited access. And for those of you already using modeling, you can build custom sports betting models within the Rhythm app itself. I am a Rhythm user, and I found that I've been a better better when I focus on lines where my gut and Rhythm's modeling are aligned. When I think UConn can cover on the road against Butler and Rhythm backs that up, we fire. But Rhythm also helps lead you to plays that you didn't know you needed to make. Like, for example, when the data says bet the over in UMass Lowell versus New Hampshire because you have a 61% edge on that line, you bet the over and you bink. So if you want to increase your edge and win more bets, go to the link in the description below and download Rhythm today. That's R-I-T-H-M-M, the place for data-backed props and picks. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fielding the 68, brought to you by Rhythm. I am Kevin Sweeney, joined by the bracketologist of the day, Brad Wachtel, Andy Bottoms. Appreciate them taking some time out of their Friday evenings to explain everything we need to know to all of us. Uh, appreciate all of you joining us, tuning in, getting your weekend off to a strong start. Uh, we're breaking out conferences now. Uh, and, and I want to start with the Big Ten because a, a league that has probably been down relative to where it's been the last couple of seasons and has only really gotten more clear in the last couple of days in that there's realistically six NCAA tournament contenders. Purdue, Illinois, Wisconsin, seemingly safely in, Northwestern, Michigan State, and Nebraska all somewhere around the bubble, and everyone else has, has seemingly played their way into auto bid or bust territory, or at least like need to win every game the rest of the way to be in the conversation. Um, We talked a lot about Michigan state. They have a very interesting resume. We could probably spend a lot more time on them, but we won't for, for purposes of, of trying to be as comprehensive as we can. Uh, And I want to talk Northwestern and Nebraska. So uh, that those teams matched up on Wednesday, Northwestern kind of controlled things from the opening tip uh, won that game relatively handily. Um, Brad, what position does this put Nebraska in? Because, you know, some of the lack of work that they've done away from home, is, is that going to come back to bite them? 
I think it's definitely an issue. Uh, Nebraska being two and seven away from home, not a particularly good record. Um, and if you look at every other team that is an at-large team at the moment, nobody has a worse record than that. So that's definitely going to give me pause. Um, so if you're Nebraska, you got some road games left. You got some winnable road games left. Maybe we didn't think these might have been winnable at the beginning of the season, but they get to play at Indiana, at Ohio State, and at Michigan. Three teams that will not be in the NCAA tournament. Three teams that are usually in the NCAA tournament. So the shoe is on the other foot. Uh, but it'd be nice if you could get one of those. Um, I, don't, I don't think you want to go into Selection Sunday with only two wins away from home. Now, one of those wins away from home was at Kansas State. Definitely a quality win. Uh, but they've done the majority of their damage uh, at home. And, you know, they beat Purdue. And they, they beat the top teams in the league. But that's one thing when... The committee is really looking at all the bubble teams when it comes down to it. Where are the flaws? Where are the strengths? And that flaw sticks out like a sore thumb, um, but they still have time to rectify that. Uh, another team in the Big Ten uh, that I think is interesting is Wisconsin. Now, they're not going to miss the tournament, but you know, a week ago at this time, we were saying maybe they could play their way into the conversation for a one seed. And now three losses in a row... Uh, you know, all of them may be individually understandable, but back to back, certainly leaving you with some questions. A Andy, what's your sense of where the Badgers are right now and, and what they need to do to get back on track? Yeah, they're on the three line still for me with those losses. Uh, obviously, losing at Michigan uh, is not ideal, but still counts as a, a quad two loss. You know, all these teams, uh, you know, Wisconsin is maybe a little bit um uh, the last, but they they all are in a similar situation in that they have a bunch of seemingly winnable games coming up. Uh, Wisconsin has at Rutgers, Ohio State, at Iowa, Maryland at home, at IU. Uh, now they do have Illinois and Purdue in two of their last three games, so that becomes a really key stretch for them. But they all have a chance to get some momentum uh, as you go down the stretch. I think that's the blessing and the curse, I guess, of the where the league is right now, where you've got uh, not a ton of of super tough games as you would look at them and. Uh, so I think they all kind of fall into that boat. And, and Northwestern really is not all that dissimilar from Nebraska uh, in that non-conference strength. The schedule is not particularly good. Have only won two true road games compared to, you know, one for uh, for Nebraska. So most of their best wins have come at home, but they also have some winnable road games coming up. They go to Rutgers, to IU, to Maryland, um, and have have another stretch of games where they they have a chance to to rip off some wins and really give themselves a little bit of breathing room as they go. But, uh, you know, while the games aren't necessarily bad losses, um, you do have some chances to, to take losses to non-tournament teams uh, coming up. And, and so that kind of puts all of them in the same boat, even though Wisconsin is much more safely in the field. Uh, there's a lot of similarities as you look across the uh, upcoming schedules of uh, really all three of those teams. Northwestern one quad one opportunity remaining on the road at Michigan State. Uh, on March the 6th. So either they will rip through all these games and have a beautiful record or slip up and, and really be in, in difficult shape heading into March. Uh, wanted to pivot over to the Pac-12, uh, a league that has struggled in recent years to get the respect from the committee that it believes it deserves. I don't think that uh, the, the numbers have necessarily backed it up. But I think it's an, an interesting point for the league right now where Outside of Arizona, is there any team you feel incredibly confident 
saying that they'll be an NCAA tournament team, Brad? No, uh, I don't. I mean, Utah right now I have safely in, but we're talking, you know, three, four weeks, five weeks down the line. So no, I don't think they're absolutely safe by any means. And and Washington State is another team that I have, uh, you know, as a 10 seed, they're on like a 10, 11 seed at the moment. You know, they have, they can do it, but I don't feel great about it. So yeah, you got one lock at the moment. Uh, and then you have two teams like Colorado and Oregon or, who are still hanging around. They still have some opportunities. Uh, Colorado still gets to play Arizona uh, this weekend. Uh, big one. It's a big one. And it's a game they need to win. I mean, Colorado has some really good metrics, um, but they don't have the wins. They don't have the quality wins. So if you could get a top-tier win over projected one seed, uh, that does so much for, uh, for their placement. Um, and then, of course, Oregon, they still have opportunities against Washington State. They still play at Arizona. They play Colorado, and they play Utah. So they're a team that we're not mentioning right now that could really climb up the ladder if they could go on a little run here uh, because they have the opportunities. And that's what it's all about this time of year. You have the opportunities. You have the ability to not only get into the field but really improve your seed from wherever you are uh, currently at the moment. I know it's a little early for this, but Andy, is is Colorado uh, in a must-win situation on this weekend against Arizona? I I think with, with what they have left, uh, it's probably unfair to call it a must-win, but I do think uh, it, it, you just look at the rest of their schedule. They have Utah at home, who will be another tournament team, and they play at Oregon. Like Those are really only three games to move the needle, and for a team that doesn't have uh, great wins already. Their their best wins are uh, at Washington and then Washington State and Oregon at home. Uh, none of those teams, you know, only one of those teams is in the field and none of them would be safe. Uh, so I, I won't say there's no scenario they could get in without winning that game, but it becomes really difficult and probably requires not only a good performance down the rest of the regular season, but also probably in the Pac-12 tournament. Colorado is another team that has some injury um, impacts that are worth mentioning. They lost both those games in Arizona uh, without Cody Williams, their star freshman. Uh, he did not play in that Arizona State game. That's a not great loss for them. He also did not play uh, earlier this month when they played at Utah and lost a five-point game. Right? How different is this resume if he plays in those games? I don't know. It's something the committee will have to weigh, though, right, Andy? It, it is. It always gets difficult for me. I, the example that I always go to is uh, Notre Dame with Bonzi Colson, however many years ago that was. I guess I'm just old and I'm just clinging to that example. But it, that that got a lot of attention. And I think they ended up being named the first team out of the field because they had played well once he came back in the ACC tournament. I struggle with some of that because you cannot assume that they wouldn't have lost some of the games they lost, even if he was there, when you look at other things they did. Um, and so I would say the same thing with with Williams, right? Like they, uh, you know, they lost at Cal uh, when he played uh, and played 38 minutes. So it, it just becomes difficult where you're kind of picking and choosing results and saying, well, they would have won this, they wouldn't have done this. Um, so it is something they have to take into effect. But it's just uh, it, it makes it that much more difficult that has taken some bad losses, even or questionable losses, even when he was playing to then make the leap logically that would say, Oh, well, if he was there, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have lost this game. 
Well, the Buffaloes can solve a lot of ills if they can find a way to beat Arizona uh, coming up Saturday night. That is a huge game. I cannot wait. Ton of talent on the floor. Probably the most two most dynamic teams in the Pac-12. So it should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. Uh, when we come back, our final segment of the day here on Feeling the 68, uh, I'm going to break down some quick hit teams that have made have made moves here in recent days. Appreciate you joining us here on Fielding the 68. Big news, guys. I am thrilled to announce that we have partnered with Autograph, a company founded by the GOAT himself, Tom Brady. The Autograph fandom app gives you access to the best college hoops content, fan contests, and exclusive rewards like discounted tickets, all for doing the things that diehard fans like you already do following your favorite team in the news and listening to podcasts just like this one when tom and yes i am calling him tom we're on a first name basis these days co-founded autograph he had one mission in mind change the fan experience for the better it works like this you get all of your college hoops content you want in one place you get articles from your favorite writers pods from your favorite hosts Contests from your favorite creators, all on the feeds and the sites that you already enjoy. But instead of having to go to all these different places, it all comes to you in one spot. The Autograph Fandom Map. But here's the best part. The more content that you consume, the higher you rank in the app. As you consider the level up and status on the app, you can unlock unique rewards curated exclusively for you. So download the free autograph app in the app store and use the referral code F68, that's F68, or tap in at the link in the description below or in the podcast app of your choosing to start earning points for doing something as normal as listening to this very podcast. It really is that simple. Fielding the 68 brought to you by Rhythm, bringing it home here Friday evening before a jam-packed slate in college basketball of three total games. Uh, but that's all right because Saturday is loaded. We cannot wait for all the action. Uh, and look, I think one of the things that makes this time of year beautiful is you you can fix your fate if it's not good today, right? If you were you were watching us two segments ago and you were in the first four out and you were like, I hate these guys. Like I'm closing the closing the browser. We're done. Good thing is you, you got another month to fix this. And there are some teams with some big time opportunities to fix things. Maybe some teams that don't have as many. Uh, that's where we're going to start this off here. Uh, Brad, I'll start with you. Is there a team or two that stands out that you feel can really improve their standing here coming up uh, in the next days and weeks? Yeah, I would have to say a team that's always in the NCAA tournament, but may not be that, but isn't there for any of us right now. And that's Gonzaga. Uh, they have two opportunities left on their schedule. Uh, they have at Kentucky, and they play at St. Mary's. There's, they're going to need to win. They're going to need to win at Kentucky. It's possible they need to win both of those games, but at the very least, they're going to need to win that game at Kentucky because right now they don't have. They don't have anything on their resume um, aside from from great metrics. Um, you know, they're aside from great predictive metrics, I should say. They had they have not beaten a quadrant one opponent yet. They don't have any bad losses, but a road win over Kentucky, a road win over St. Mary's, if they somehow got both, that changes everything uh, for me about Gonzaga moving forward. I think I think that puts them 
in the field. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because we never would have expected a team like that to be in their position right now. But all that matters, and this is all we talk about, is opportunities and the ability to have that game at Kentucky on their schedule is huge for them. And it's really the only thing that's giving them a chance from becoming an at-large bid and not having to just win their conference tournament to get into the field. So that's a, that's a massive opportunity. Gonzaga, without a doubt for me, is a team that we're not even mentioning that we might be mentioning in a few weeks. On paper, Gonzaga had a really difficult schedule in the non-conference. You know, obviously Purdue and UConn, those games aged really well, but UCLA, Syracuse, USC, I think when you schedule those games, you think like those those games are going to be difference makers for us. Uh, and they haven't been for Gonzaga, and that certainly raises the stakes for Saturday's matchup at Rupp Arena, Kentucky-Gonzaga, uh, two, two big-name coaches, two big-name programs. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, Andy, on your side, is there a team or two that, that stand out opportunities-wise that, that have a chance to, to really swing things here in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, if I kind of stick with the team that's not even listed in our, our first four out right now, it would be Wake Forest. Uh, they've got – the metrics are not terrible. They host NC State this weekend, but then their four after that are at Duke, at Virginia, two huge opportunities to pick up road wins, and then they host Pitt and Duke. So getting Duke two games in – uh, two games out of the next five for them is pretty huge in, a, in an ACC that doesn't have a ton of big-time opportunities. And then being able to go uh, on the road to Virginia would uh, would certainly be a good opportunity. And then I'll throw Butler out there. Uh, it's rare for any team to have three straight home games. They have that coming up right now in Providence, Marquette, and Creighton. Uh, I think they've worked their way from being outside of the field within the last you know, week and a half to really being in the 9-10 range. You win some of those games at home uh, over, you know, in Marquette and Creighton, essential locks in the tournament at this point, and Providence, another bubble team. Um, that really helps bolster them, and then they go on the road to uh, Villanova and to Seton Hall. So they've got a, a big stretch coming up. And, you know, we could pick out just about any Big East team here, uh, but at least for one who has already made some pretty substantial moves, being able to solidify that by winning these home games and uh, maybe getting one of those two on the road would be pretty huge for Butler. I would like nothing more than Wake Forest to find a way to win enough of these games to be in the field because they're just one of those teams, man. Like, if they're in, it feels like they can do some stuff in the NCAA tournament. They have the guards, they have, you know, the ability to make shots from three. I mean, that is a team. Look, tear up the team sheets. Let's just put Wake Forest in the dance and get, get, get there. I think it'll be, I think it'd be awesome to see, but obviously they have, they have more work to do uh, if they want to get into the field. Uh, some teams that we really wanted to mention, they don't necessarily fit anywhere. So I'm just going to throw them at you guys. And I need, I need your thoughts. Like where do you see uh, each of these teams? I'll start with you, Brad. I'm going to hit you with Oklahoma, Oklahoma, a team that didn't do a ton in the non-conference, just had a huge win though over BYU at home and uh, taking care of business in, in the big 12 for the most part, around 500. What is the, what does the resume look like for, for the Sooners and, and where do they stand? Yeah, for me, the Sooners keep moving around between, you know, seven through nine range. You know, they win a game, they lose a game here and there. That's how that's life in the Big 12, though. You know, currently they're three and four against quad one opponents, which is fine. Um, and seven and six against Q1 and two. If you're over 500 against Q1 and two, that's very good. Their metrics across the board are, are very solid. Um, and they've beaten teams. Uh, they've beaten 
Iowa State, they won at Cincinnati, they won at Kansas State, and they beat BYU. So they've got some solid wins. Uh, they don't necessarily have, aside from Iowa State, which came at home, they don't have the, the top, top wins, uh, but still solid enough to be middle of the pack um, in our seed range. Uh, one thing that they have that pretty much the majority of every Big 12 team has is a, is a poor non-conference strength of schedule, and theirs is around 280 at the moment. Uh, hasn't really hurt these teams, though. It has not, because those teams played a lot of Q4s, beat the heck out of a lot of Q4s, and improved their metrics. And, and the Big 12 really figured out how to get that done, and there's about nine teams that did it and did it successfully. So I think Oklahoma, in the end, I think they're solid. Um, as long as they continue to play solid in the Big 12 of the rest of the way, because for any team in that league, that's, you know, not, you know, a Houston, a Kansas, a Baylor for any other team, like things could go south real fast. Another team I wanted to get to is New Mexico. Uh, New Mexico has an interesting resume in that they play so many home games in non-conference play. A lot of that is because of uh, them wanting to fund their program. They have you know, a huge attendance at the pit, one of the best atmospheres in the country. Uh, because of that, they play a lot of bye games. And uh, you know, some of those buys have, have aged pretty nicely for them. They beat Louisiana Tech, who's you know, a, a pretty strong team. They beat UC Irvine, who's all the way up to 63 in Ken Palm. So maybe some marginal wins in the non-conference. But really, doing the meat and potatoes of their, of their work in, in Mountain West play. have already done some with San Diego State, Utah State, uh, and Nevada at home. But still have a lot left. Uh, at Nevada, at San Diego State, home Colorado State, at Boise, at Utah State, all left. Uh, the ceiling's got to be pretty high here, Andy, if they can get rolling. But if not, are the Lobos in danger? Uh, I don't know that they're in danger quite yet, but theirs was an odd, uh, when you look at them and the other five teams that are in contention from the Mountain West, they've played four of the five at home and I think just one of the five on the road. Uh, so that's where their schedule, if you want to be the glass half full person, you would say they've got lots of great road opportunities, uh, coming up to be able to go to Nevada, to San Diego state and to Boise state. Uh, and, and they've already fared reasonably well in road neutral games or eight, three in those games, uh, four and three in true road games. So the strength of schedule takes a little bit of a hit, uh, based on what you talked about with the non-conference, uh, it's, you know, two fifty-seven, nine of their wins come in Q4. So. They've shown some ability to win away from home. I think the thing now is, can you beat really good teams away from home? Uh, because their five Q1 and Q2 wins have all been home games uh, at this point. So albeit against uh, a number of teams that are in the tournament or in the tournament picture, uh, it really just is a matter of their uh, the weighting of the, the hard games or the hardest games in the Mountain West for them skews a lot more toward road games down the stretch. They drop all those, then yeah, we probably have some things to discuss. I think if they're able to, you know, win one of those, beat Colorado State at home and not slip up, uh, otherwise, then I think they should be in decent shape. Brad Xavier is a team that has played, I think, like an NCAA tournament team since Big East play has started. Unfortunately, took two not so great losses at home against Oakland and Delaware, two good mid-major teams, but you know, quad three losses, I believe, for for both. Uh, what do the Musketeers have to do to find their way in the field on Selection Sunday? Yeah, so looking at Xavier's resume, I mean, they have a plethora of solid wins. They don't have the top-tier wins, but they beat St. Mary's. They won at Providence. They beat Cincinnati, St. John's, Nova, Butler, Seton Hall. They have a lot of solid wins. 
Um, for their case, getting one of those top-tier wins while avoiding another bad loss is going to be essential. Um, you know, they're, they're in a somewhat similar boat to Villanova, although record-wise, they are three games over 500, um, 13 and 10 overall in the season. You know, that once that record starts to get a little bit closer, you know, to, to 500, it's just not going to happen. Um, so, you know, like I said, they, they need to... They need to get that that big time win um, to really boost them up the boards. Um, for me, uh, just two and seven against Q one opponents, not great. And and like I said, only one in five against you know Q one A opponents with the two losses isn't isn't great. Metrics overall are not bad, and the five wins over the field is a really good number. That's a better number than really just about any bubble team has, and that's why they're in the conversation. So again, I'd say try to knock off one of these top tier teams. You know, obviously they lost at UConn the other week, and that was not pretty, uh, to say the least. Uh, you can't have any more of those games. The margin for error slim for the Musketeers. Uh, it's gonna be a fun weekend, folks. Really excited about all the college hoops action ahead of us. We mentioned Illinois, Michigan State, Arizona, Colorado. Uh, Gonzaga, Kentucky, as a few of the games that will really shape things from a bracket perspective. Uh, but the two of you guys, anything you guys are looking forward to outside of that? Start with you, Andy, then Brad. Uh, yeah, I mean, just a, uh, the Saturday slate is obviously huge. You would think that the Super Bowl was being played uh, on Friday based on what the schedule looks like today, but that's uh, not true unless something has changed. Uh, so, you know, for me, a number of big games, we've hit on uh, a bunch of them on on Saturday with Michigan State hosting Illinois. Uh, Providence Butler uh, is another big one. I'll throw out two others so I don't steal a bunch from Brad. Um, Houston at Cincinnati. Cincinnati, a team that's just inside my last four in. The metrics look pretty good, um, but would be good for them to get another uh, another win over a top team. Uh, Houston, uh, by the same token, could uh, you know, tighten their grip on a one seed with another big road win there. And then uh, Kansas State, BYU. Can How does Kansas State follow up that big win uh, over Kansas? Are they able to go to BYU and get a win there? I think that becomes uh, a, a pretty important one for them as they're trying to, you know, they're in our, our first four out. A win there would certainly put them in uh, in conversation to be within the field when we, uh, we come back on Monday. And for me, uh, so... Games that I'm looking forward to, you know, St. John's at Marquette, as we mentioned before, it's a, it's a huge game. It's a huge game for Marquette just because you, they want to keep the momentum and try to climb the ladder and try to be, you know, that fourth number one seed eventually. You don't want to lose at home to St. John's. And St. John's, again, this is a difference maker. This changes their entire season for me if they could win at Marquette. Uh, and I think they're capable of doing it. I think, I think they're capable. We'll see how it plays out. And then I'll give you another game that's kind of uh, not a top 25 game by any means, but Michigan at Nebraska. Okay, I'm going to tell you Michigan at Nebraska because if you're Nebraska, who has been dominant at home, the expectation is, okay, we're playing Michigan. We're going to, we're, we're fine. Okay. Well, Michigan just beat Wisconsin. And if Nebraska decides to take the day off and lose that game to Michigan, they're going to they're gonna really, really hurt their resume. They don't have the bad loss at the moment. That would become a quad three loss, and that would take Nebraska from, you know, all of us had Nebraska 
relatively safely in at the moment, not a lock, of course, but that would take them back back down to the bubble. um, And then things are going to get very, very dicey, especially with that road record for Nebraska down the stretch. So that's one of those sneaky games where you expect Nebraska to win, but you never know. You never know. Lots of big ones ahead. I'm looking forward to sitting in front of the TV and uh, putting my remote to good use. We'll be flipping around plenty. Uh, Appreciate you guys joining us as always. Uh, The bracket itself, if you are looking for that, will be up later this evening on all the Field of 68 social platforms, uh, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. Go check that out. See, see, see if where your team is seated. We unfortunately cannot get to all 68 teams every show. Uh, but for Brad and Andy, I'm Kevin Sweeney. Appreciate you all joining us, and uh, we'll see you back on Monday, same time, 5.30 Eastern, for Fielding the 68.